0: thank you for coming this morning when i was looking at the prayer requests thank you my brother when i was looking at the prayer requests i saw that uh, we have a page by the way mpi prayer requests and i encourage you to join there if you would like to put your prayer request there and i was looking there during this holiday season and many were praying for grace uh, during this time to reach out to their friends and family. And I just wanted to let you know I was praying for you. Hope everybody had a good Christmas. You all good? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1, verse 43. Somebody say greater things. Amen. As we prepare to uh, end out this year, I want to encourage you to believe God for greater things. Now, I know that can sometimes seem to be shallow in church. Those of us who have been around for a while have heard a message like this, a time or two, greater things are going to come. This is your year, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes we then see that maybe uh, greater things don't come the way we expected. You know, I, I wonder where all those prophets were at the end of two. 2019 as 2020 was talking, uh, you know, it's coming, and they were talking about greater things. They kind of missed the great thing of COVID, right? But does that mean greater things didn't come in the midst of those those hardships? No, I believe greater things cannot be stopped by COVID. I believe greater things cannot be stopped by economies and presidents and these kinds of things. How many believe God's word is true, no matter who's a president, no matter what's going on in the country, no matter who's sick or healthy, and we pray for good health upon everybody. Be wise during this flu and COVID season. It looks like COVID's going to be around for a while. So be wise whenever you have symptoms, but we're believing God for healing. Amen. But let me just say this, greater things are coming into your life if you're hanging out with Jesus. That's just the way that it is. Now, listen, I am a firm supporter of the Christian message of suffering. Oftentimes, Christians who preach like the way I'm going to preach today do not also preach about Christian suffering. And I'm not talking about suffering because you're broke, busted, and disgusted. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christian persecution, Christian hardship. How many believe that's still a part of our message? Amen. And I believe God allows it and God gets glory through it. But the thing is, is that what people do is they try to put God in a box. And they try to say, well, if Christians are going to suffer persecution, if Christians are going to be ostracized, if Christians are going to be uh, put down in a culture, then that means we can't expect greater things to come. And that's not true. We can, in the midst of being a persecuted people, in the midst of Christian suffering, experience greater things. And let me just say this, my heroes, those who have actually been in jail cells for Jesus Christ, whether it's Watchman Nee or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or others that I could uh, talk about here, the famous Romanian that was uh, jailed and, and started the ministry, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, you know, Richard Wombrand and others. I mean, I could go on and on. These are my heroes, and those are some of the more recent ones, as well as those in the past, you know, and Corey Ten Boom, let's not forget about her, but those in the past as well. Ignatius and Polycarp and my favorite church fathers who gave their lives, Justin Martyr, the martyr named Justin. Uh, These are my heroes. But listen, greater things came to them even in the midst of their suffering. Greater things came into their lives even while they were in jail cells. Read what Watchman Nee wrote while he was in a jail cell. Read about what these fathers, these church fathers wrote while they were suffering persecution. Ignatius said, I'm ready to be the communion for the lion as Jesus has become my communion. Think about that for a moment. He said, I am ready to be the communion of a lion, a lion to consume me as Jesus has become my communion. Isn't that something great to understand that, that he said, I am willing to give my flesh to a lion as Jesus gave his flesh to me. So I want to make sure that as I preach this, that I am not said to be superficial because oftentimes a prosperity message, a message of blessing, a message of hope is said to be superficial. And then we want to categorize everybody and lump them all together. So people will say like to me, Joe, are you one of those prosperity preachers? And I'm like, yes, I'm not a poverty preacher. You understand if I had a choice of preaching to you God's blessing and prosperity versus being broke, busted, and disgusted, what am I going to say? God wants to bless you. God wants to make you uh, able to save your money, pick the right stocks, the right houses, and land to buy. He wants you to be a blessing to your children and to your children's children. Can I hear an amen if you want to be blessed? But if you then say to me, well, are you like one of these kind of prosperity preachers, like someone uh, like a Joe Lowston who stutters when he's asked a question about sin or doesn't understand the the heaven and hell message of the gospel that only pulls out the, the good parts of the gospel and doesn't talk about how we're sinful and wretched and miserable and poor and naked and blind and all that. No, I'm not like that. That's not what I'm like. But I do believe for the Christian, while we are here on earth, we should occupy the land. We should be the best doctors. We should be the best lawyers. We should be the best business people. We should put the world out of business in every form and fashion and every sphere of influence. We should have a better social media site than Facebook. Amen. We should make better phones than Apple. Can I hear an amen? Okay, if you're going to farm, then grow the best, you know, watermelons or corn. If you're going to be a doctor, be the best doctor. Find the cure to cancer. Let's go. Amen. Can I hear an amen who wants to go do great things for God? So, so there's a balance there. Can I hear somebody say a balance? a balance. Once again, pastor, are you one of those who believe that everybody should be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Yes, because I don't want you to be sick, stupid, and uh, poor. Are you listening to me? Like, do you want me to preach to you about being sick? I want you sick today. I want you poor today. I want you stupid today. No. I want you healthy, wealthy, and wise. But does that mean that your wealth is going to look like everybody else's? wealth? well? No. I just want you to, as a pastor, according to the word of God, so it really doesn't matter what I think, but I think you can my point when I'm talking about what my desire is. According to the Word of God as your pastor, I want you healthy. I want you taking care of yourself. I don't want you expanding your temple too much during this holiday season. Amen? Don't make too many expansions during this holiday season. Try to moderate. I know it's so hard. I know it's so hard. And I don't want you you to be poor. I want you to be successful in what you do. Save up your money. Have enough for your family and for those that would come in your line. Because if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, you need to hand down an inheritance to your children and your children's children. Amen. So let's not be naive about what we're supposed to do with our finances. And then, of course, we don't want people stupid. And that's why, like, even during this time with COVID, you know, sometimes I'm talking to people and they're like, oh man, I, I just have a sore throat, my body aches, and a fever, but I'm all right. And I'm like, no, dude, that sounds like COVID, dude. Go get tested or quarantine yourself, okay? Because you you have to use wisdom. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm I'm, I'm for medical science. We have people in the church that are anti-vaccine and go with your bad self and we will write letters so that you and your religious conscience aren't forced to do it because anyone who forces to stick something inside of you is wrong according to the Bible. Can I hear an amen to that? So we got your back. I'm just saying like me personally, I'm not anti that. I'm not anti-believing in other things like the the earth is round. We have some flat earthers in the church and I always tease them, okay? I believe the earth is round. How many of y'all believe the earth is Around, okay, but there are others who just jumped on that conspiracy train and it's taken them all the way to flat earth. Okay. But I, I still believe in Nassau. I know it's weird you have to say that, but I still believe that the rocket ships are actually going somewhere, that they're just not playing make-believe with us in a back studio of Hollywood. Okay. Now, having said all of that, does that mean that I believe everything that comes across the news? Does that mean I believe everything that someone's going to tell me that has a named doctor before? Does that mean I'm going to believe everything that a scientist tells me? No, I'm going to use a critical mind. I'm going to come with thoughts and, and, and wisdom to discern that so I want you healthy wealthy and wise I don't want you to be broke uh, sick and stupid can I hear an amen to that as a pastor and at the same time I want you to know there is a message of Christian suffering this doesn't always go well for us sometimes we're going to lose things in life because we serve Jesus but this is what I want to say as long as you haven't taken it out of my hands I'm going to be like a Daniel ruling and reigning even in a pagan nation can I hear somebody say amen we're going to be leaders in that nation. We're going to be, until they take it from us, we're going to keep ruling and doing things as Christ has called us to do. Not reigning as pompous false believers as the Bible says, you know, they think they're reigning but they're really not. No, I'm talking about being king's kids, having biblical authority, bringing something beneficial to the world and believing that we're helping instead of hurting when it comes to the things that have to do with people's success, their health, their wisdom. I want us to be influencers and this culture. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Because we would be amiss, thank you, we would be amiss to think, we're just getting raptured out of here. Now, do I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Yes, you guys have seen me or heard me do a series on the book of Revelation. I believe we get raptured before a seven-year time of tribulation, then we come back with Christ to rule and reign for a thousand years, and what do I think that world is going to look like? Somewhat like Thor's world, there's going to be spirituality with with high technology going on. Everybody go, ooh. That's what I personally think it's going to look like. It's going to be really cool. And then after that, we're going to be with Christ until uh, for eternity, for, for all of eternity. We don't know what that world looks like. But listen to me, my friends. Just because you and I believe we're going to be raptured before a tribulation doesn't mean we necessarily have the timeline right. What if the rapture is 200 years from now? <laughs> okay, that's where I say to my friends who are post millennialists or amillennialists, those who believe that the millennium is a sign of Christians ruling and reign and bringing christendom to the earth and there are various people who believe that even in the past some of my heroes john wesley believed that christendom was going to take over the world not with conquistadors okay amen can i hear an amen for my folks here okay all my gente over here we're not talking about coming and conquering the mayans by force and and raising the flag over machu picchu okay we're talking about literally Christians invading every spear and becoming a part of that influence and changing the world. John Wesley believed that. He did not believe we would be raptured or Christ would not come and glorify us until he had changed and Christianized the whole world. People have always believed this, and it's, a, um, it's an ancient belief. I don't believe that, but here's the thing that I think is cool about that because they're always forward thinking. They're always forward thinking. They're, They're thinking to themselves, we're going to be here for another thousand years possibly, so we need to make sure that we have the banks, that we have the schools, that we have these things. Have you ever heard of the Methodists? Have you ever heard of the Methodists? Look at what they did during the colonial times of American history. Study what the Methodists even did in a city like Chicago, starting universities, starting the different social networks that we now have. Because of their belief that we're going to be here for a while, they became Methodists, not just preachers, and they were awesome at that, but they became the starters of what we now call cities. They were the residents of cities that were built up with banks, with universities, with hospitals and all of these wonderful things because they said if we're going to be here for a while We need a hospital. Let's have a methodist hospital if we're going to be here for a while. We need a university Let's have a methodist university. Can I hear an amen to them? So I just want to encourage you, greater things. Somebody say greater things. Now let's get to the text. Thank you. I just had to clarify that because I care about my reputation. Not that if people just go off foolishly and say stuff, I I can't stop you. Not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about in this church. I want you to have it right. Don't get it twisted. This is what I believe when I say greater things because I'm about ready to preach in Jesus' name. Greater things are coming. Hallelujah. Greater things are coming. I just want to make sure when you hear me preaching about greater things, you understand. I know that they can still throw you in a jail cell and take away some stuff from you, okay? I want you to understand when I'm preaching about greater things, I know that the most important thing is Christ in your heart. But I do want you to believe this year for great things. Amen. All right, here we go. Come on, verse 43. And I want to give you the text. Without the preach, I want to teach it first. So let's let's honor this text. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. We're going through the book of John verse by verse. This is now Jesus' real first time of talking to the disciples and saying, come follow me. In the verses prior, they asked him, where did he stay at? Where, Where are you staying, Jesus? And he said, come and you will see. But now the term, follow me, this is the first time that it's used. He says to Philip, come follow me. This is what I want you to do. Philip, I want you to stop what you're doing. Follow me. Look at verse 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, those are the two brothers, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, look at this uh, response that Nathanael had here. Nazareth, verse 46, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. How many want to come and see if something good can come from Jesus? Amen. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So this is a part of the story that Jesus knew that we're not even told in the narration by the gospel writer. Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Can I hear an amen for that? Thank you. Verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see, somebody say, greater things. Thank you. You will see greater things than that. He said to him, and then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's go now to verse 43. We see that these are the disciples of John the Baptist, and now John is going to begin to hand them over to Jesus, and Jesus is now going to take the baton of these faithful disciples and make them his disciples. As we learned in prior verses, these disciples weren't folks that had no idea about what was going on. As we talked about in the the differences, the surround sound of the Synoptics Matthew, Mark, and Luke versus John. Here is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke would give you the impression that Jesus just walks up to random fishermen, random folks, and says, "Come follow me." John adding in what I would like to call the front left rear or the front left speaker. How many have surround sound? Front left. Here we go. John now plugs in this sound that we didn't hear before that actually most of these disciples, not all of them but the first core group here is coming from John the Baptist that they had been John the Baptist's disciples, they were faithfully serving with this man of God as he was a forerunner to Jesus they had heard John the Baptist speak well of Jesus, they were probably there at the baptism of Jesus and then those following days as Jesus came by, John the Baptist says, this is the one I told you about and they start following him and then now jesus starts picking them out and says i want you guys to be with me he's eventually going to get 12 and we know that he's going to ordain them as the 12 apostles we see here that the reach one to teach one to reach one idea of ministry is built right at the beginning right at the beginning jesus says to philip follow me and then what does philip do with nathaniel come follow me does everybody get that some may say reach one to teach one to reach one you see how that works we reach one we reach out to people in the world and we reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we reach them we then teach them about what we know about Jesus and that should be so exciting to them that now they want to replicate that and go reach out to somebody else look at your neighbor and say reach one come on to teach one to reach one so this is the multiplication. This is before herbal life. This is before plexus. This, this, this is before Amways. everybody tracking with me? Multi-level marketers, I love you. God bless you. Make it happen, Captain. We pray for you. Amen. Be the leader over thousands, praise God. But never neglect leading thousands of disciples, okay? Because this is the way it works. The church didn't need advertisement, paid advertisement. The church didn't need commercials. The beginning of the move of God here didn't need billboards. All it needed was people who had experiences with Jesus that were willing to reach out and share them with somebody else and say, I found the Messiah. Come check him out. You will change your life. Amen? We are are believing God that even in this place we can do the same. We can use the advertisement. We can use billboards. Believe it or not, when I was a young preacher at Bible College preaching, they took a picture of me, put it up for uh, uh, the Bible College, and I was on a billboard in New Orleans. Can you imagine that? I remember talking to one of my young people. I just was kind of uh, tricking with him. And I said, you know, uh, I was doing discipleship in the inner city, had him in my car, and I said, you know, I was a high school dropout. And he's like, yeah, I know, Pastor. And I'm like, you know I used to do drugs. And he's like, yeah, I know. And 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 then I go... And, you know, God put a call on my life now to preach, and I've been born again and saved, and, you know, God did all this. He's like, I know. And I'm like, what do you think would be the wildest thing God could do for somebody like me who used to be on drugs, used to be a disgrace? Come on. I said, wouldn't it be something that God put that person on a billboard preaching? And he was like, oh, yeah, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. And I said, bro, look up. We were sitting underneath the billboard by the highway. We looked up. He saw that billboard of his pastor preaching. Come on, somebody. God can do it. Won't he do it? Somebody say greater things. Greater things. Did you think I thought I was ever going to be on a billboard preaching? No, but God said, I got a plan for this high school dropout, incarcerated young man. I'm going to use him for my glory. And I just go back to the scripture and say, he didn't choose the wise. So that's why I'm up there. I'm not the wise one. Amen. He took the one that was the most foolish and said, I'll use him as an example. But you see, that's how God is. He does greater things that you can even imagine. I remember there was a young man that was working at a bank with my wife, and there was a woman in the church, a young lady in the church that started working there. So my wife got this young lady a job at the bank, and eventually there was a young man that liked the young lady, but the young lady was wise and said, hey, you can't date me. You can't get any of this until you come to church. You got to come to church, and there's been a lot of men saved that way. Can I hear an amen? So one of my favorite Bible college professors, Pastor Wade Southern, who preached on the who has passed away, is with the Lord. That's how he came to Christ, for a woman. So anyways, he, he came to church to get himself a little bit of this bonita senorita. You know, he comes to church, and then lo and behold, what happens? He gets saved. They don't become a couple, they they don't do that, but he's still saved to this day. Well, this young man ended up becoming a great part of our church. And at one point, when I went to India, I was looking for people to bring with me. And I said, Brother, would you come with me? And he said, Yes, the church paid for his tickets. And lo and behold, a few years after this dude got saved because of liking a girl at a bank, he is now in India preaching the gospel. Won't God do greater things? I mean, if you just ask somebody, you know, do you think, you know, if you would ask this guy, do you think in two years you'll be in the villages of India preaching the gospel? This guy would have said, man, you are crazy. I don't even know what the gospel is. I'm not even a Christian. What are you talking about? And yet, just within a few years, he found himself in India preaching the gospel, and he was a dear brother, and uh, he was there for me too, because I, my goal, Brother Juan, was always to preach at least four or five times a day, you know, talking about the Methodists, that's what they did. Well, I got to do that, and then I hurt myself. So about the fourth message of the day, I literally lost my voice. I'm preaching like this for like the fourth or fifth time. I couldn't even talk anymore. I literally just walked over to my brother as if I was in a wrestling match, tagged him, gave him the mic and said, brother, you got to keep preaching because I preach that much. Come on, somebody say, help us, Jesus. Greater things, greater things. So he calls, uh, Philip brings Nathaniel with him and says, hey man, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go meet this Jesus guy and he's from Nazareth. And then Nathaniel mocks Nazareth and says, you know, what good can possibly come out of Nazareth? And what this means is that Philip, didn't explain to him all of the prophecies that needed to happen for him to be a lowly servant, yet he would be born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. He would be overlooked by his own people. It just seems like Nathaniel gave him enough, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, to get his appetite wet, but enough to see if he would trust him. And so now when Nathaniel hears, oh man, the Messiah, you think the Messiah is coming from Nazareth? He now wants to call out Nazareth, which at that time was probably like a small podunk town, or what we could say like a Gary, maybe a little sketchy, a little sketchy. You know, so imagine, hey man, I got a great restaurant. <laughs> I'm already looking at people and laughing too much. Mm-hmm. I got a great restaurant to take you to. Oh, yeah, man, where's it at? Oh, it's in Gary. <laughs> what would you all say back to that, Chicago folks? You'd be like, oh, Gary. Okay, well, I don't know, can anything good come out of Gary? By the way, I'm an Indiana boy, so I can make fun of Indiana places. But, man, Gary is a a place that you might not think that well of. But how many know good things can come out of Gary? And so when they were hearing about Nazareth, they're like, man, what good can come out of Nazareth? But you see, Nazareth was a place that God had chosen the Messiah to be born and raised because he didn't want him to be a person of reputation. He wanted him to be one that they would overlook, that they wouldn't pick first to be on the team or even go looking for him to be a, to recruit him on the team. And so how many know the people of this world will overlook you, but God still has his eyes on you. Amen. People might say, well, what good can come from that desk in the corner? Oh, something real good is going to come. That one that's in that corner cubicle, thereby ready to be the CEO in Jesus' name. Oh, what good can come out of this guy who just got a truck and stuck a magnet on it. Bob's remodeling, oh, something good's going to come out of this one. He's going to give Trump a run for his money in the next 10 to 15 years building all over the cities. Come on, are you listening? See, people always despise what they feel they're better than. People always love to put people down and say, oh, what good can come out of here? What good can come out of here? What good can come out of this place? You look at the founding of what we would consider the modern Pentecostal movement. William J. Seymour, an African-American who had suffered from during the time of slavery and then the Jim Crow was under segregation laws in the South and finally found some freedom to start a church in Los Angeles. But all he could afford was an old used horse stable on a zoo's. And somebody might have looked at that and they actually did and mocked it at times and say, oh, what good can come out of Azusa Street? How many know 500 million tongue talkers later, God did something amazing at Azusa Street? greater things. And so we see this place being looked down on almost like, man, what's good going to come out of 5405 West Diversity, man? Don't you know there are bigger churches around here for you to go to? There's more mega stars for you to listen to on Sunday. What good is going to come out of a place like this? God has a plan. Somebody say greater things. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your business. He has a plan for your education. He has a plan for your family. Oftentimes, we, we in this church, we get used to everybody having children. How many know people having children in their 20s is not a normal thing in this culture? God is doing greater things because he's raising up young adults that are setting their heart on marriage and family. And thank you, and I just want to say this ahead of time before we even get into the the end-of-the-year reports when we'll share about how much you gave to this church to do what we did. There's always the reaction that happens during that time, which is, that was given here? (laughs) Seriously, because we give you all the numbers, and people always say it to me, and I'm sure somebody said it to you or something like this, you mean y'all do that here? Yeah, we do that here because of your generosity, because we give our tithes and offerings. We save like little chipmunks, amen. We're not wasting it. We're waiting for the right thing so that we can do it in cash, amen, so that we can buy and not be in debt. Nothing wrong with mortgages and things like that, but we want to do things debt-free, full of the glory of God, and give it all back to Him, amen. But I think about how people look down on Jesus even from Nazareth. And I think, man, he could have been being raised anywhere. He could have been being raised in that place where they knew the prophecy was Bethlehem. He could have stayed there, but God wanted him in this kind of podunk place. He could have lived in Jerusalem, as you see when he goes to get, uh, you know, uh, when he goes to the temple there and he's hanging out and and he begins to talk to the religious leaders. So obviously he could have gotten along in some way there, but the Bible says he was put in this place. So he just basically says, man, just come and see. Now look at verse 47. Jesus has intimate knowledge about this man. Now at this point, a lot of times people say, of course, that's Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He's going to have all this knowledge. But we believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, though he did not empty himself of his divinity, please don't ever say, Jesus, stopped being God. He's always fully God. He just added to his nature humanity. Can I hear an amen to that? Understanding the hypostatic union, the incarnation. But understand this, Jesus was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to have this information. He could do nothing unless he saw the Father doing it. In his dependence upon the Father, the Father reveals to him, this is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And otherwise, what he says about Nathanael is a compliment. He says, here's a guy who tells it as it is. You know, and that kind of throws off Nathaniel because that might sound like someone's trying to butter him up, you know, like maybe like a used car salesman technique. Oh, here's a guy looking for a deal. Oh, yeah, I can tell you're a sharp uh, shopper, you know, almost like they're trying to butter him up. No, 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 but Jesus is letting this man know, I know you. Look at this man, Nathaniel. Everybody look at him. He's an Israelite that tells it as it is. I'm not going to try to lie, or Jesus wouldn't lie, but, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it with him. I'm going to tell it just the way it is to this man. That's the way he likes I'm going to give it just the way it is. Now, now notice here how Nathaniel, and I love it, he responds. He goes, how do you know me? I could just see this conversation with guys, you know, like in our world, in our Chicago-like world, you know, somebody coming to church and then maybe a pastor or you as a life group leader look at him and go, hey, man, I can tell this guy. You for real right here. And that guy like, man, how did you know me? Man, God put you on my heart. I can just tell you're not here for us to play games. We're going to make sure we tell it to you straight. And Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? And then Jesus said this, I saw you while you were still under that fig tree. See, Jesus says, I have intimate knowledge of you. I can prophesy about your past, but not only that, I can prophesy about your future. Hello, somebody? And so he gives him this intimate knowledge like he must have been chilling under a tree, and he says, I know that you're not about to seed. I know you were under this tree. And then Nathanael at that moment is now convinced, this one that is talking to me, it doesn't matter where he is from. It doesn't matter what people think about that area of town. This one is the son of God, the king of Israel. Israel. If you believe it about Jesus, can you say amen? amen? Amen. Now notice that declaration. That declaration is the declaration of the Messiah. It's already been said prior to this in verses earlier that they had found the Messiah. Andrew calling Peter, he said, this one is the Messiah. You can see that in chapter 1 verse 41. They believed him to be the chosen one. John the Baptist had called him that. They believed him to be the Messiah. They believed him to be the Son of God. They believed him to be the King of Israel. Now what's unique about this is that John is writing this so that we can see it from their perspective. But how many know for us, we've already read the beginning of chapter 1. So we already know in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God so we understand John 1:18 no one has ever seen god but the one and only son who is himself what god who is in closest relationship with the father has made him known we connect that together But now John, the gospel writer, is showing us how they began to connect this together. And how they began to connect this together was looking at the divine prophecies that had been said about the Messiah, Messiah, the messianic figure, and now knew that it was Jesus. Can I show you a few of those prophecies? Amen. Because remember, he said to him, uh, Philip said to Nathanael, This is the one Moses has wrote about and the prophets. So let's go to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. As we go there, I just want to encourage you to be a student of the Word because oftentimes those of us who love to experience the things of God, who love to experience the things of the Spirit, sometimes we do it to the neglect of God's Word, and that should never be. We should be full of the Spirit and truth. We should be people of the experience of God and of the knowledge of God according to His Word and understanding that our experiences are always subject to the knowledge and Word of God. Can I hear an amen? We do not develop our doctrine. We do not develop our beliefs based on our experiences. We always test them by the Word of God. But at the same time, we don't deny our experiences. The reason why I'm saying this is because there has been many a false prophet that has come and done magic tricks or Uh, uh, signs and wonders by evil spirits and have tricked people to believe that they are a messianic type figure. And so what we need to say to those kind of people is, okay, you might have saw either a magic trick or you might have saw something demonic, but we have to test it by the word of God. I don't want you to think that these people were any different. Just because God told his past and then begins to know about who he is as a person does not mean Nathaniel checked out from what he understood of the scriptures. Does everybody get that? Because oftentimes cult leaders try to use the experiential, revelational knowledge that people are getting in those moments with them to be the basis of beliefs. In other words, someone has cleared your chakras. That means they're the chakra cleanser now. You're supposed to believe that. You, just because someone told you something about your past, how many no demons know things about the past? Or psychics can know what's going on in your life. And so people in our culture are so quick to run to those signs and wonders and look for something to validate and to believe those things because it happened by that experience. But those are not the disciples. These are not, in other words, Mormons. These are not New Agers. Do you get it? These are Jews holding Jesus, holding Jesus to the Scriptures, They want to see, does this Jesus fit the role of the scriptures that they had been taught to honor and believe? Here in Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, David speaking, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash into pieces like pottery. Now, how many understand that this is talking about Jesus and him ruling and reigning? How many get that right there? So when they were saying, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, how many of them believe that this was coming next? Okay, it gets quiet when I preach like that. I'm going to ask the question again. There is a right answer, class, okay? How many of you believe, go back to the notes so everybody can see it. That when Nathaniel said, you are the son of God, and I'll swipe back over. Let's see if we see son of God here. God's speaking to someone and says, you are my son, right? So we're in a context of a prophecy. Now go back to the, uh, the John, please. And he says, you are the king of Israel. Now go back here to Psalm chapter 2. He says here, I will make the nations your inheritance. Sounds like a king to me, right? And the ends of the earth your possession. So how many understand, let's make sure we're on the same page that if Nathaniel was saying about Jesus at that moment, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, that he thought these things were happening next. And the nations will be your inheritance and the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So now you understand the context and the tension that these disciples were in while believing Jesus was the Messiah and also trying to understand why he's not killing people and whipping them with a rod of iron. Does that make sense? This is now the the tension. This is now why Jewish people thinking they were doing the right thing before God shout to crucify him because in their minds this is an imposter because if he truly was the king of the Jews, if Jesus truly was the son of God, Caesar would be getting his back broke right now by the rod of iron in this man's hand. Okay, you all tracking with me? So let's not jump ahead in John chapter 1 all the way to John, you know, 18, 19, 20, all of these chapters thinking that we're better than them. Let's catch what they're catching and let's make sure that we give them grace throughout their mistakes and their misunderstandings. The reason why they are struggling is because of passages like this. But what did they also know? Let's, Let's now... Be a little bit rebuking towards them. What did they also know? Jesus was called by John the Baptist the Lamb of what? So now they understand that he's not only a lion, he's also a lamb. He's not only a king, he's also a servant. Go to Isaiah 53. So were they given enough to understand without stumbling and falling? They were even though they will stumble and fall at different times, even though it seems like only John held on long enough through the crucifixion to see the whole thing, the rest of them are running scared. The rest of them are denying him or doing something crazy. This, what we see, was given to them by John the Baptist right at the beginning. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. He, talking about this messianic figure, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a what? Like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression. For the what? Come on. Somebody say transgression. Transgression. Thank you for the transgression of my people. He was punished. So at the same time, should these disciples had done better... Yes, Peter, we know, is already a bystander during this time because just in the few uh, prior verses, him and his brother are already there. So whatever is going on now with Nathaniel and Philip, it's getting spread around to Peter. Yet when Peter is asked, who is Jesus? Not what other people say about him, but who do you say about him? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He gets the star next to his name. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father revealed this to you. And then the Bible says Jesus goes on to explain that he must give his life. He must be crucified. and then what does Peter do? He says, never, Lord, and he tries to forbid him, and then Jesus calls him by the beloved name Satan and says, Satan, get behind me. Have you ever had to tell somebody you love, Satan, get behind me? Married folks, watch out how you answer that right now, all right? Parents understand, Satan, Satan, us, speaking sometimes to our children, what has gotten into you, you know? But here we see that they were given enough to understand the two roles that the Messiah was going to play. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Remember he says to Nathanael, you are not only just going to see me tell people's futures, not only are you going to see me heal people and know things about them like women at the well type stuff, but you're going to see angels ascending and ascending on the Son of Man. Go to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. And notice that is Jesus' most popular title for himself, not only in this gospel, but in all the gospel. He calls himself the Son of Man, and this does not mean it's less than the Son of God title. The Son of Man title is a sign or a title of divinity. It comes directly from Daniel. The Son of Man is worshipped. Why is he worshipped? Because he's God in the flesh looking like a man. That's why he's called the Son of a Man, man, man. You all track with why he was called the son of a man? Because the son was given, the child was born. The son comes in the flesh, looks like a man, but yet he gets worshiped. Is that blasphemy? No, that is God the son taking on flesh for the sake of our redemption. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. So Daniel seeing this. And he goes, I see him coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. We would know this to be the Father. And probably at this time all Daniel knew was the Ancient of Days to be divine. So he's thinking maybe singularly about the nature of God. God is just the Father. So now watch what he sees. He sees one like a son of man come next to the Ancient of Days. So here's the Ancient of Days. He could see him clearly. And then he sees over here one that looks like the Son of Man comes next to him. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language did what with him? Worshiped him. Er, Hold on. Hold on, angel, whoever's giving him this revelation. I mean, and we know the angels are present, but it, you know, is it just something that the angel's kind of like making a portal? Is he there with the angel? We don't know, but somewhere he could have put on the brakes and said, er, hold on. We have just been thrown into lion's dens. We have been thrown as Jewish people into the fiery furnace because we refuse to pray, to worship to anybody else. And now I see someone that looks just like me because Daniel was a man. How many know Daniel knew his gender? He didn't have to say refer to me as he, him, his, or whatever. How many know he knew how to identify? He says, now I see someone just like me getting worshiped. We were told not to worship the image of a man when it came to Nebuchadnezzar. We were told not to pray and to give glory to anybody else. That's why I kept praying to the God of Israel, throwing it to a lion's den. But yet I see here one that looks like me being given worship. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now look at verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in my spirit, in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. How many know he's disturbed at this point? Not only because of the apocalyptic things that he's seen, but he's seen a man being worshiped alongside of what he would think would be the only one worthy of worship. And so what do we now get? As we see Jesus on the earth, we see this revelation coming to its fullness is the way I like to say it. The Trinity was concealed in the Old Testament, and now with Christ in the New Testament, it's being revealed. Jesus is going to go on and explain to us the person of the Holy Spirit in the book of John, but right here, understand this, that when Nathanael is calling out, saying, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, what he is saying is, you are the divine Son of God worthy of worship these men were willing to begin to have their experiences be tested by their theology and come up with doctrine that they had not yet considered and I say that carefully I'm going to say it again because I don't believe there's a third covenant coming with the book of Mormon listen to me at that time they were serious students of the scriptures but they did not understand all the nature of God and all that was there. And how many know we're still seeking to understand? And yet, as they began to look at these. Scriptures as they began to see in Jesus the fulfillment of these scriptures, they were faced with doctrines they had not considered in their entirety. Do I think that they had some understanding of plurality beginning to happen? Absolutely. As I've showed you before, Exodus 33, Moses can talk to God. He calls himself Yahweh. He's appeared to him in the the burning bush, known as the angel of the Lord, but he also calls himself Yahweh. And then there's a voice that he's hearing continually from, from heaven that he cannot see. So he talks face to face with Yahweh and yet there's a Yahweh he cannot see. Is everybody tracking with me? And then there's a presence that's always around the Yahweh's that he's with that provides the glory the covering, the fire by night, the cloud by day. And he begins to understand that that presence has the same kind of mind, will, and emotion as the voice and the person he's talking with. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We see that on the mountain of transfiguration when the disciples are there. The Father is speaking. Moses is there with Jesus and the disciples face to face in the cloud of God's presence, the Holy Spirit. We see that at the baptism of Jesus, now it's being fully revealed to us. Jesus is in the water. The Father is speaking in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove is coming down to rest upon Jesus. Everybody say the blessed, the blessed Trinity. We believe in the blessed Trinity because it's revealed in Scripture. We disagree with false Christ and false prophets because they are not confirmed in Scripture. We disagree with the cult that talks about Mother God coming out of South Korea because it does not agree with the Scripture. But we, we admire the disciples becoming Trinitarian, not that they were singularly focused on purpose, but that's all that they knew. But we enjoy the journey of the disciples understanding who is the Father, who is the Son, and who is the Holy Spirit because we appreciate the development that God was doing in their lives. Go back to the notes, please. Did you see that all in that sentence? Notice what he said about him again. He said, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. That's what was going on in these people's minds. And as we begin to go through the book of John, we'll see more about that. And then lastly, I want to talk about the angels ascending and descending. Go with me to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 22. How many know Jesus has been appearing in the past? How many know Jesus didn't just get created at the day of, of, of his incarnation that he's existed from all eternity? Let's not go here. Let's go to, uh, go to. I want to go to um, Jacob's ladder. Where's Jacob's ladder? I thought I wrote it down in my notes. It's not Genesis 22. Go back to my notes here. I want to see where it's at. I think it's going to be Genesis 28. Do I have Genesis 28? Yes. Is that where we're at right now? Okay, go up, go up a little bit. Let's see here. Jacob's stream. There we go. Thank you. How, how did you know that man of God? Let's give it up for Dale in the back. That just that was so amazing, my brother. Woo! That was awesome. Thank you having a preacher's back. I want you to understand this. We don't have time to read it all. But let's just get into the context here. Jacob, Old Testament, first book of the Bible. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, laying down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood who? who stood there? The Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. He says, I'm that one. So here we now see that Jacob meets him. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Let me work this word a little bit. Somebody say, work it. Let me work it. Yes, and I have it all right here. We're going to work it. I had it in a different spot, but I got you. Somebody say, Pastor, got us. We're going to see the Yahweh that had angels ascending and descending on him. Notice now we went back. We were at 28, so Jacob is now seeing God, right? And the angels ascending and descending are important to the context of John. But something that we have to understand is it's the same God. Somebody say the same God. So he says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of your father Isaac. I'm that same God. Now look at Genesis 18 verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now just put in the new tab there, John chapter 1 verse 18, tying it together what we've already learned. And then I want to show you a few more experiences with Jacob to show you what Jesus was saying to this man. This is powerful. Remember what we read in John. No one has ever seen what? Okay, now go back to the other tab. No one has ever seen him, but it says the Lord what? to. Doesn't the word appear mean seen? The Lord became visible. Didn't we read in Genesis chapter 8 that, that here we see Jacob looking up, and he sees the Lord standing on top of the ladder while angels are going up and down? And now go back to John 1.18. John one eighteen, but it says, hold on, but no one has what? Seen God ever. Now go to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, remember it's the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis chapter 32 verse 30. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 32 verse 30 at the end of his wrestling match where he got his hip knocked out of socket and his name changed. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, It is because I saw God, what? Face to face. And yet my life was spared. Now you ready? Ready? For the cherry on top here with Jacob, the one that he first met. remember, he first meets the Lord of Israel in Genesis: 28, seeing angels ascending and descending. He then wrestles with him in 32 and says, "I see him face to face, the same God that appeared in Genesis 18 to Abraham. Now look at Genesis 48:15. Notice this: when an Israelite is praying, can they pray to anyone other than God? Yes or no. Can an Israelite pray to anyone other than God? Is there any scripture where an Israelite prays to anyone other than God? Absolutely not. But look at Jacob's prayer. He's blessing these boys at the end. He says, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they greatly agree increase on the earth why does he add there the angel of the lord because now they began early on to make a distinguishment a distinguishment between the one they would begin to know as the father and the one they would know as the son they don't really quite understand all that's happening, but they know there is a Lord that they do not see, who goes by the name Yahweh, who speaks like he did to Moses. And yet there is a Lord they see, and not only see, but have wrestled with, have eaten meals with, have seen face to face. Going back to the book of John. I love this. Notice this. Jesus says, I saw you. He uses that terminology. I saw you under a fig tree, but now you are going to see me on top of angels coming from and out of me or from me. Yeah, I saw you under, but now you're going to see me above. Is everybody tracking with me? I saw you under a fig tree, but now you are going to see me lifted up and angels coming upon me and coming from me. Where do we think Nathanael saw this? Possibly at the ascension of Jesus Christ. We know he wasn't on the mountain of transfiguration, but he might have had a vision of Jesus on his own or at the ascension or now that he's in heaven. But how many know Nathanael has seen Jesus high and lifted up and angels ascending and descending upon him? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How many are ready for greater things? Look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. I tried to get a lot of it out in the the introduction, but I, you know, it's like the teacher and the preacher wrestling on the inside of me. It is, man. I wanted you guys to get encouraged by the word. How many are encouraged by it today? Amen. And also, I want you to apply the word. I want to apply it. How many want to apply it in your life today? Greater things. Somebody say greater things. Amen. I believe that God wants to do greater things in our lives. Thank you, sir. Some of the application that I would like to give us today for greater things is that you and I would not settle for anything less than God's best. When I look back at my life and the things that God has said he would do, if I didn't know it was God, I would have thought I had just eaten too much pizza, that I had stayed up too late, watched too much Christian television, But God was a man of his word. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. There are some things that you don't even believe, and I know because I've been there, that you don't even believe God has spoken. You've heard it, but you didn't think it was God because it was beyond your own imagination. It was beyond what you could think or believe for yourself. And I want to encourage us as we have this last message of the year that you would seek God in prayer for this week as you get ready to start a new year and say, God, what do you see in 2022 that's greater than what I see right now in 2021? What do you see, God, that's greater? Because the Son of Man is still with us today. And the Son of Man wants to show us things that no eye has seen no ear has heard the relevance for nathaniel is that even though nathaniel's going to watch his messiah get punched beaten beard pulled out spit upon he will still see him high and lifted up that's the most important thing nathaniel needed to understand nathaniel don't give up don't lose faith When you see them drag me before the courts, hanging above the earth, remember what I told you, Nathaniel. I saw you under a fig tree. And just like I saw you under a fig tree, you're going to see me high and lifted up. Don't lose your faith, Nathaniel. Does everybody get that? That's what Nathaniel needed. That's what Nathaniel needed. And I hear God saying the same thing. Joe, do you remember when I first called you to start Metro Praise International? I told you 100,000 disciples were going to come, 50 churches here, 500 around the world. Many years later, when you're still in the storefront, don't you give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up now. You will see what I said you would see. What is God speaking to you? What is God speaking to your family? Because that's what God gives us to hold on to when we go through times of discouragement. Remember when I talked about the suffering church. Do you know that the suffering church, Polycarp, Ignatius, some of those first ones... You know what they saw beyond being burned and eaten alive? They saw a church coming and taking over nations, ruling over the Roman Empire. They saw the gospel going to every continent, and they said, It's worth me giving my life for. In the natural, we call these heroes. When those people ran off the ship in World War II to the shores, you know what they saw? They saw a world without Nazism and you and I being able to worship freely in a country not controlled by Hitler. And so when they ran off those boats and were getting mowed down and bodies were laying everywhere, someone still had to step over that body and keep running towards that shore because they had a belief, they had a faith, they had a hope, they had a dream that someone is making it to where those pillboxes are and where the machine gun fire is. Someone's going to conquer that land. Someone's going to go to the artillery fire. Someone's going to keep marching. If it's not me, someone behind me will keep marching and we will take the land you have to get to a point in your Christian walk where you see what others do not see you have to get to a point where it doesn't matter where you're from and what others have said about you and the limits they put upon you You have to get to the point in your Christian walk where it's God's Word, hell or high water. It's God's Word whether anybody's with you. It's God's Word whether anybody believes it. It's God's Word. His Word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. His Word is the foundation you're building because you know there are greater things. There are greater things for the families here today. There are greater things for your marriage. There are greater things. Jason, look at me. There are greater things that you have never seen that has never even entered into your heart that God has for you and for your future. Greater things, sister. Greater things. God is asking us to join Him for the journey. Because imagine if Nathaniel would have said, at the moment of the arrest, at the moment of the beating, at the moment of the crucifixion, I'm out of here. He never would have saw all of these things. And so often, as the Bible says in Galatians, we give up at the moment of our breakthrough. When I was getting my doctorate, I wanted to quit three different times. Matter of fact, I dropped out of two schools. I switched and I was moving all around. And then the last time that I wanted to quit, the third time, I said, I told my wife, I'm done. I only had one class left. One class left. And I said, I am done with this school. I'm done with these backslidden professors. I'm done with these students. I don't enjoy this anymore. This this is not for me. And God said, Hold on. I'm going to show you a Joe that has a doctorate. I'm going to use you as a testimony from somebody who went from a high school dropout to someone who has a doctorate. Hold on. There are so many of you here right now, single young adults, and you're wondering, will you ever get married? Will you ever be that one that has a child? Will you ever be that one that has a lineage? And God says, I see you sitting around a table and your whole house is filled with your children and your grandchildren. I see you being a new patriarchy or monarchy, you know, with your wife and your kids. You're the new mother of a new generation. You're the new father. Don't give up. God sees greater things and he wants us to trust him. Can we stand to our feet, please, in closing? Greater things. Father, would you do it? In an attitude of prayer, if you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, would you begin to confess him as Lord of your life? Confess that he died and was buried, rose again on the third day for you to be forgiven of sins and start to call out to him to save you, to change you, make you new. If you want to come up for prayer even now, you can. If you want to be saved because you'll experience something greater than you can even imagine, salvation. For those of us who are here who would say, I'm already saved, would you look at your heart right now into those promises that God has spoken? May he bring them to your remembrance right now. And I pray right now that you will lift them up to him and say, Lord, show me these greater things. Come on, would you lift up whatever God has put in your heart? These are not just your wishes. These are not your human-centered ideas. These are God's dreams that he's given you. Would you lift them up right now and say, Father, may they come to pass in Jesus' name. A family, a job, a career, A calling, a ministry. Oh Jesus, what you doing?